You know, my heart for this year, more than anything, is to know how and learn how more effectively to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. To follow Him. You know, we as a church, that's what we want. We want what the Holy Spirit wants for us. We want to go where He's leading us. We want to do what He's teaching us, showing us. Because that's where life's going to be. I mean, can you say amen to that? That's where life's going to be. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And Lord, just like we were singing about this morning, we thank you so much for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that precious blood that sets us free, that cleanses us, that that makes us available to be adopted by you, to be healed. We thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you for your invitation to draw close to you. And Lord, we thank you for that we get to look forward to that the, that the number of days that you give us on this earth, we can look forward to walking with you in intimacy and in closeness and effective effectiveness, serving you effectively, Lord, seeing your kingdom expand around us. But Father, we want to be practical. And we thank you that your grace has been made available for us to run the race that you have set before us. And so, Lord, we just choose today again to submit and commit ourselves to you because you are the Lord. You are the boss. You are the one in charge. And we choose to submit to you. And we thank you. We love you. Thank you for our time here. And and Lord, teach us this morning from your word. Encourage and challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hold on, I forgot my chapstick. Got to get ready here to preach. All right, we're good to go now. All right. um, We've been talking about intentional discipleship last however long, a couple of weeks, three weeks. Other than last week, we didn't talk about it last week, but before that. And the last time we talked about this, we were talking about relational environments. Remember that? Of having an, of allowing God to develop an environment here in this church so that we can be disciples, more effective disciples. And I'm going to continue on that another time, but not today. Today's going to be, um, it's going to be along the lines of discipleship, but it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be practical. And so we're going to talk about being an intentional disciple in 2012. How's that for you? Being, being. An intentional disciple in 2012. Because you can have all the intent, but if you don't do anything with that intent, then you're just not going to do anything. You know, it's like that prophetic song that was coming through Caleb this morning. You can't get anywhere if you're standing still. That's so profound, but it's so simple, isn't it? It's like if you ponder that, it's so profound. You can't get anywhere if you're standing still. So we want to talk about being an intentional disciple in 2012. How many of you have gotten your, uh, what do you call those, New Year's resolutions? How many of you got those all good to go, ready to go, and you started today, or you starting the day, ready to go, right? Not. You know, um, they say the most, the most common or the most popular New Year's resolution is what? What did you say? Losing weight. That's right. I promise you I will not make that commitment. <laughs> it's not one I'm going to make because if I do and if I turn sideways, I'll disappear. I say, where did he go? I'll turn away. Oh, there he is. So I have no intentions of losing any weight. It's not one I'm going to make. Now, gaining weight, yes. So I need you to help me. So invite me over for dinner. <laughs> And help me, if you want to minister to me, help me. I'm just kidding. But I do have some, some goals um, along the lines of exercise and that kind of thing, staying healthy, being healthy, that kind of thing. But anyway, but a lot of people make 
make New Year's resolutions, and then on day one, they're all excited, and day 14, they forgot all about that New Year's resolution. It's like, oh, yeah. And if you bought that equipment, you know, that nice $300,000 piece of gym equipment that you saw on the TV that you had to have, and it was going to change your life forever, and you're going to look like that man and be married to that woman and, you know, all that. You know what I mean? And then in the next summer, it's in the garage sale for five bucks, you know. So anyway, so, you know, a lot of people have intentions to do things, but those intentions just go out the window. And we want to talk about being an intentional disciple, being intentional with discipleship, following Jesus Christ. But we're going to rely on the grace of God to help us, not human effort, because we know how far human effort will get us. But there is one thing. Shannon, you have that? You pretty much ready on that? There's one thing that if we can have every intent in the world to move forward, but if we don't take care of this one thing, then we will not get anywhere. You probably want to know what it is, don't you? Let's watch this video and it'll tell us what it is. I got a, got a big butt. Again, find out you about it. And you know what the funny thing is? I got several big bucks. And, and before you before you discard me or, or lose the disgusting notion of that, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and suggest that possibly you have at least one big butt as well. Yeah. Like that hurts a little, huh? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something, okay? Everybody we know has a big butt. And more often than not, it's the thing that actually gets in the way of us living a consistent life for Jesus. I think you know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to expound a little bit, okay? See if you can recognize some of these butts. But I have to work more. But my favorite TV show is off. But my kids have practice. But i got to tweet something. But it's such a beautiful day. But I'm just not in the mood. But I deserve a break today. You see, everything kind of interferes with my life of, of just living an authentic life for God, okay? And more often than not, it always has something to do with some sort of butt, okay? Even the littlest butt can distract me. It really can. The littlest butt can make me think, ah, I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to think about it today. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm not going to read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Whatever God asks me to do, I seem to have a butt for it and get away, okay? And the most horrendously big butt of all time is the butt that gets in the way of me just hanging out with God and reading His Word. It's true. Think about it. All the times you're about to open that, and all of a sudden the big giant butt gets in the way of butt. Much like one of these. But I got a farm bill, but I'm tired. But the game's over, but I read last Tuesday. But I gotta check Facebook. But I don't like Leviticus, but it's too hot in here. But I, I just don't like books. But I don't understand it. But it's boring. But what does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Those are some ugly butts, people. Let's just call them what they are ugly. Ugly butts. Okay? And there's a lot more to them, sad but true. Here's a list, although not exhaustive, of some of the most popular butts known to mankind. But I don't have enough money yet. But others will think that I'm a nerd if I carry the Bible. But they won't like me if I talk about Jesus. But I don't know if God will do what I ask. But I just can't get motivated. But I'm afraid. But I don't have all the answers. But the small group is the same night as Monday Night Football. But can I just let my life speak for itself when I'm not happy? That's not my gift. That's the pastor's job. But I don't know how to pray. But I can't believe that. But I don't know where to start. But everybody else is having fun. Butts abound, friend. But, 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 but. Here a butt. There a butt. Everywhere a butt butt. Okay? And, and, and the most overused butt of all time, but I just don't have enough time. Really? Oh, come on. We have a lot of butts. God has given us a real simple word. Okay? If we learn it and we share it and we teach it and we live by it, then see, God gets glorified, people benefit, and then we get blessed. That's why we do what we do. That's the why behind the butt. Okay? And ultimately, that's the whole point I'm trying to make here, my fellow butt lovers, is if your butt is bigger than your why, then your butt's too big. Okay, it's time to, metaphorically speaking, snap into a swim gym. Okay, let's slap on some spiritual shape-ups and hit the road a little bit so we can just manage the butts a little bit. That's all we're trying to do. That's what we're talking about. Let's minimize the excuses. Let's shrink the butts. Shrink the butts. Say it with me. Shrink the butts. That's what we need to do. And you and I can do that together. We can conquer this. You and I can do it. We start today, okay? I know we can. Let's just do it. No ifs, ands, or... All right, so we've got to take care of the butts, right? In other words, we have to take care of all excuses. You know, a lame excuse or a big butt can keep you from moving forward into all that God has for you. And I want to encourage you in 2012. If you look back at last year, and I'm not encouraging you to dwell on last year, but all the intentions and the things that you intended on doing, 
Many of those that didn't happen were because of some lame excuse. Didn't have enough this, didn't have enough that, didn't have time, didn't, 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 you know, but, 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 but. And I want to encourage you not to let that stop you in this year, the year 2012. Okay, I want to talk about some practical things, practical ways we can be an intentional disciple in 2012. And I'm talking about being an intentional follower of Jesus Christ. And remember when we defined a disciple a few weeks ago, that we said a disciple, it comes out of uh, Matthew chapter 4. Verse 19, Matthew chapter four, verse 19. And Jesus turned to them and said, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was talking to them and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so out of that, we come up with our definition of discipleship. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus because remember he said, follow me. So a person is following Jesus and the person who is being changed by Jesus He says, I will make you. So you're following Jesus and you're allowing him to change you. And then he says, I will make you fishers of men. So a person who is committed to the mission of Jesus, and that's people. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So a disciple, so you decide, am I a disciple or not? Or am I, have I given myself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I following him? Am I allowing him to change me? Am I committed to his mission? Of people. And so that's what a disciple is. And here are some practical ways that we can move towards that. You know, we talk about being led by the Spirit. We talk about God says, draw near to Him and He will draw near to us. So He gets to make the first move. We do. He says, draw another, draw close to me. As we draw close to Him, then He'll draw close to us. And so probably the reverse is true. If we don't draw close to Him, then He's not going to draw close to us. So, We can sing songs and we can get all excited and everything. And believe me, I'm all about singing songs. I'm all about worship. I love it. And that's a practical and emphatic way to draw close to God. But if if that's the only thing you do is you're worshiping on Sunday morning and you're drawing close to God, but then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you're not doing anything else to draw close to God, then you're missing it. You're missing it. And we're going to talk about some practical ways you can draw close. I believe that one benefit of worship is as I'm worshiping and pouring my heart out to God. And then I, have a, I, I get a, a little bit greater understanding of his love for me. Then that makes me want to draw closer to him. It makes me want to submit to him, to surrender to him, to obey him. And then I, I say, yes, Lord, I submit to him. And then I do the things that he challenges me to do. When we talk about following Jesus. Now, obviously, we're, we're talking metaphorically. We're, we're not talking physically because we can't see him physically and follow him physically. So how do we follow him? Jesus says, if you love me, then you will what? Keep his word, keep his commandments, do what he said to do. This word right here. Is what Jesus says to do. So if we want to follow Jesus, then we will align align our lives up with the word of God. That's how we follow him. Okay? Are you with me on that? That's how we follow him practically is by obeying obeying this word. word. So what are some things we can do? Um, I'm not going to expound on these because we'd be here for about five or six hours and we don't have that much time. But I will... We'll touch on some of these, and some of these we'll come back to and deal with in a greater way at another time. But number one, if I want to be intentional about following Jesus, here's the first thing I need to do. Adopt a Bible reading plan. Adopt a Bible reading plan. What I mean by that is be intentional in reading God's Word. Be intentional reading God's Word. And I'm not talking about, I'm, I've said this before, I'm going to say this again, but you know those little bread baskets, those little things that are, the little plastic piece of bread, and then in the middle it has a, a whole row of scriptures, and it's called your daily bread, and you take a scripture out and read the little scripture, and then, I remember those on my grandmother's table, I remember seeing those years ago, I don't know if they have those anymore. Anybody ever seen those before? You know what I'm talking about? Alright, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having an intentional Bible reading plan. Now it's nice to have those. Nice little conversation things. But I'm talking about getting, developing, or adopting a plan that's going to get you into God's Word on a regular basis. 
even daily basis. And if you look uh, like in the back of some of your Bibles or in the front, there's a there's a daily reading plan. If you go on the Internet, there's all kinds of reading plans where um, the plan I don't recommend is just you starting from Genesis and reading from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that. I did it before. And it was hard. It was rough. It was scary. I mean, I wouldn't encourage that. There are what I did this last year and what I'm almost finished with um, in the next 29 more days. I think I have left in, in finishing this one because I started in February is uh, it's called the classic reading plan. And if you go online and, and type in or Google uh, Bible study tools or Bible tools, something like that dot com. And they have different Bible reading programs that if you want to read the Bible through in a year. Now, that's one program. I'm not saying you have to go through a read the Bible through in a year, but that's one thing that I would encourage you to do. If you've never read the Bible through from cover to cover the whole thing, I would encourage you to do the, do a Bible in a year or maybe a Bible in two years reading program. All right. But it doesn't matter how fast you do it, but just do it to get the whole counsel of God, get from cover to cover, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I want to encourage you to do that. Also, what I'm going to do this coming year is, is something that I've learned. Uh, Dale and Teresa showed me this years ago uh, from a book they were reading, and, and I read it. I think I read that book. I don't know if you gave me a copy or not, but I like this, this idea. It's where you read chunks of Scripture over and over and over again. For example, like let's say you take the book of Galatians, which has, I believe, is it six chapters? Six chapters in Galatians. And then you, <clears throat> you read the book of Galatians four or five times in one week. So what you do is you read it through, you know, from, from chapter 1 through chapter 6. Read it once. And then maybe the next day you read it again. And the next day you read it again. And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. However many times you want to do it, whether you read it three times that week or six times or five times. And what you want to do with that is not just open it and read it and then go on. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Before you read, ask, invite the Holy Spirit to teach you. Get a notebook and then begin to read. And then when something sticks out, you know, something just kind of grabs your attention, kind of jot that down and write down what you believe the Holy Spirit is teaching you. And if you give yourself to getting in God's word on a regular basis, you'll be amazed at how much you learn. And I'm not talking about head knowledge. I'm talking about learning life application stuff that will change and transform your life. Now, immediately, some of the big butts are going to start flaring up when you try to develop a Bible reading program. I don't have time, but I got to get up too early. But this, but that, and all that kind of stuff. And here's the deal. You don't have to do anything that we're talking about this morning. Really don't. But if you want to move into more of what God has for you, then there are practical things that we must do and we need to do to grab a hold of. You know when we say, I want more of you, God, I want more of you, God, I want more of you, God. You know how we get more of him? We give him more of us. We have to surrender more of us. And as we lay down our lives, Jesus says, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So if we want more of what he has, we have to do practical things to be able to obtain what he has. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about earning stuff from God. I'm not talking about if you want God to do this, then you better read his word. It's not, okay, I'm reading his word, so therefore God's going to owe me this now. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about reading this word for the purpose of getting to know your heavenly father more. To getting to be free. The word will set you free. You should, if you continue in my word, Jesus says, John chapter 8. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Then you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If you are tired of being in bondage. From the same bondages over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's cool to be able to come up for prayer and have instant ministry and, and being set free. And God does that sometimes. But I believe a lot of the time how you get set free is being transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
In Proverbs it says, as a man thinks, so is he. So if you got some real stinking thinking going up here, going on up here, then you're going to have a real stinking life. Because how you think is how you're going to, you're going to believe and, and proceed and move in life. So our thinking has to change. And we don't want to just develop positive thinking. That's a bunch of garbage too, according to the world, positive thinking. But I'm talking about this positive thinking right here. Grabbing a hold of this and getting it in our spirit, getting it in our lives, and it will change your life. Are you with me? And I know this stuff that I'm saying is you've heard it before over and over and over and over again. But I'm sharing this to remind us that we'll stir it up again. See, because the day is the first day of a new year. And there's no difference as far as God's concerned. There's real no difference from the day and yesterday. You know, the calendar, January 1st from December 31st, you know, God doesn't say, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do now? You know, it's not really a big deal. But because in our society, the way we, we are governed by the calendar and everything, we place a big emphasis on the new year. And that's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. But since we were kind of geared that way, then let's run with it. And let's be kingdom-minded about it. And let's see, how can we take this opportunity and use it for God's kingdom? And so see, here we are in a brand new year. And so we're, we're thinking, what am I going to do different this year than I did last year? What, what commitments am I going to make? What am I going to do? You know, we talk about the New Year's resolutions and that kind of thing. So let's decide, what am I going to do now? And commit myself to so that I can be more aggressive and grab a hold of what God has for me. Because if we will examine ourselves, we may realize that we've kind of cooled off in our passionate pursuit of Jesus in certain areas. We've cooled off because of the busyness of life. Do you realize that the busyness of life will rob you of God's purposes for your life? Matter of fact, that's one of the big ones. It's one of the big weed factories that will come into your life and choke out the word of God in your life is the busyness of life that cares for this world, the desire for other things. We get so wrapped up in things of the world. We get so wrapped up in I got to pay my bills, so I got to have a job and I got to work my job and I got to do this and pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. And that's not bad. That's not sinful. That's called responsibility. But we can make our lives all about that instead of about the kingdom. Remember, Jesus said, seek first, first the job and your boss and all that kind of stuff. And then these things will be added. Is that what he said? No. Not even close. But that's how we live our lives. He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness. And these things and the things he's talking about are the needs, the clothing, the food, the shelter. Then those things will be added unto you. Seek him first. Pursue him first. These things will be taken care of. But we get it backwards. We pursue these things, and if we have time, we go after him. And guess what? We run out of time. We run out of time. So we have to adopt a Bible reading plan. And you know, I, I encouraged the, the, the church to do this last year, if you remember at the beginning of last year. And I did it myself. And the only way this works, I believe, is with accountability. Because there's another... Uh, Man here that we've stuck through this the whole year and it's only because of his accountability because we ask, how's the reading going? Are you caught up with the reading? And I'd be behind. I'd be four five, six days behind. So, oh, man, I've got my and I get caught back up. But it's with the accountability and the encouragement from somebody else doing the same thing that kept me going through this. And I really enjoyed I've re- enjoyed reading the Bible through this year more than I ever have before. Now, I've done it before, but I did it by myself in the past. That's no fun. So I'm saying to you, for this to work, adopt a Bible reading plan, get an accountability person, someone who will encourage and challenge you and provoke you to continue with it, and then go for it. Okay? Number two, commit to a regular daily quiet time of prayer and worship. <clears throat> now, as Brian was sharing, talking about this a little bit ago, we can get so religious about these things. You know, whether it's reading the Bible or having a daily time with God. We can get so religious and regimented and that kind of thing. And I don't believe that's God's intent. But we cannot let legalism, that word legalism, be an excuse not to develop a regular, consistent, 
quiet time. If I set my time and I say, okay, I'm going to, you know, if I have to be at work at 8 o'clock and it takes me an hour to get ready and that kind of thing. So I need to, for me to have a, a good time with God before I go to work, I need to get up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock. And I say, okay, I'm going to do that by God's grace and help. And I do that daily. That's not legalism. That's not legalism. Now, if I say that's what I'm going to do, and then Monday I'm good, Tuesday I'm good, Wednesday I'm good, Thursday I sleep in, I overslept or whatever, and then Friday I forgot, and then so I miss two days, and I beat myself up and, and kill myself as far, or with my words how bad I am, that's legalism. When I have a plan and then I fail and then beat myself up, see, legalism and religion will do that. It'll hold you to a standard, and then you mess up, it'll whack and, and beat you up. And that's not that's what you have to watch out for. You say, God, I'm thanking you for helping me to go after you this way. And I'm going to set up this time to spend time with you. And if you mess up, say, man, Lord, I I missed it this morning. Okay, well, repent and go on. Don't hang out and beat yourself up and wallow around in self-pity. That isn't that's not God's will. And then when you. Also, what Brian was talking about, what I appreciate, is we don't have to be so regimented on how we do this. And in our our last, one of our men's uh, NFL groups, we talked about this discussion. We talked about the the kind of quiet time, where the time where you have in the closet or on your bed or in a quiet place where nothing else is going on and it's just you and God and you're spending time with Him. And that's okay. But also, the kind of time of where you're jogging around the lake. Or you're driving in your car on, on the way to work and you got your worship blasting. And in other words, where you're, or you're washing the dishes and you're just singing and talking to God. Or you're doing regular routine and you're communicating with Him. That's okay too. In other words, you want both. Because it's like, well, which one is it? Is it that way or is it the other way? It's both. You want to treat this. How did I say this? We should want to treat our relationship with God at least as good as we would want to treat a good marriage. Not your marriage, a good marriage. In other words, I'm not saying, because if you have a bad marriage, I don't want you to treat God's, your relationship with God like you do your marriage. But you want to treat it like you would a good marriage. In other words, how would I spend time with my wife? How would she want me to spend time with her? How am I going to spend time with her in such a way that it's going to, our relationship is going to grow? There are times when we sit on the couch and we talk and we have what we call couch time. It's just me and her. Nothing else is going on. I'm not allowed to watch any football or anything at that time. Nothing. Just me and her. And we talk and we communicate and we learn about each other's day and we talk about things. But then there's also a time when we're together, when we're doing something. We're hanging out. We go out and eat dinner together. We go for a walk or we do these things. Now, if you said, well, which one, what's the best way to do it? A or B? Both. Both. Interaction and then time when you're not doing anything. And that's the way we ought to treat our relationship with God. So if you're longboarding or if you're driving your car or whatever, you're hanging out with God, excellent. Also, If you're having your quiet time downstairs in the church or in your quiet closet or whatever, (coughs) excuse me, you do that. Third thing. So the first two things, adopt a Bible reading program. Second, commit to a daily, regular, quiet time with the Lord. Third thing, commit your money to the Lord. Commit your money to the Lord. How many of you would agree that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil? What? The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil? Do you guys read your Bibles? Right. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And that's been misquoted a lot of times. People say, well, you know, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. And that's not accurate. It's not money. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. And it can cause all kinds of problems. The love of money. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And he also says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? 
You know, so it's like, if he is my Lord, which means boss, <clears throat> then I'm going to do what he says, right? So how do I know that I love Jesus more than my money? The Bible says you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve them both. You've got to put your allegiance behind one. Now, here's the deal. Both of them will scream for your allegiance. Well, I don't know if Jesus is screaming, so maybe not. But both of them require, let's say that, or wanting your allegiance. Jesus wants us to follow him, and money wants to be king in your life. So how do you know which one you are bowing down, submitting to? Just think about that. You know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. So who am I seeking first? Am I putting him first? Do my daily actions show that I'm putting the kingdom first or do my daily actions show that I'm putting my job, the pursuit of money first? And going to work every day doesn't mean that you're putting that first. If we're a disciple of Jesus, that means we're following him, we're allowing him to change us, and we're committed to his mission. Then that means we're learning to submit to him every area of our lives. And since I mentioned money, let's talk about money. Am I submitted to him in the area of money? How, do I, how would I know that? Am I doing what he tells me to do with my money? Am I... Is my relationship with my money the way God says my relationship with my money should be? You know, he says to tithe. The Bible teaches about tithing and giving. You know, look at Malachi, but also Jesus says to tithe. And we'll get into this in a deeper, you know, deeper level another time. But if I say I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not obeying him with my money, then who am I obeying? Who am I? Who is my allegiance to? And see, money is a huge thing. It's all about money. And, you know, I believe one thing. I I feel like the Holy Spirit showed me this uh, not too long ago. But I believe tithing, there's one benefit of tithe that I'm learning to appreciate. It helps keep my heart in check concerning my money. See, because it's so easy and so subtle. It's so easy to become money, to kind of love money and kind of lean that direction and let, let my decisions be made based on money instead of his kingdom. And when it comes to the tithe, in other words, you know, each month it's a, it's a monthly reminder or how, if you tithe monthly, if you tithe weekly or however you do it. But each time you're faced with that decision, it's a reminder. How's my heart with this? Because there's sometimes tithing. Oh, yeah, there you go. You know, write the check out or pay the cash or however you do it. And there's sometimes when it's like you don't want to let it go. What that's indicating is, is you've got a heart issue going on. All of a sudden, the money is taking a bigger place in your soul. And if you want to be free from that, then it's like, Lord, I submit this to you. I give this to you, what you require. And then I'm free. Because if I can't tithe, then I'm in bondage to money. Now, it's funny when you talk about this, you don't get a lot of amens, but that's all right. But I just want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that if we want to be free and if I want more of God and all that God has for me, then I cannot be in bondage to money. I cannot be. If I am, then I'm going to have a hard time. I'm going to have a real hard time. Because if you're in love with money, then you make decisions. You make poor decisions, unwise decisions based on that so I can get more money. And I end up losing. So commit your money to the Lord. How do you do that practically? Quit living on debt. Get on a budget. And start tithing. 
Quit living on debt. Now, many of us are in debt. Most of us are in debt. I have debt. Whole bunch of it. But I'm endeavoring to get out of debt. I'm not going to let money. I'm not going to let money keep me in bondage or debt keep me in bondage. And so I have and I am making practical choices and steps to get out of debt. And the first thing is, is you got to quit living on debt. Got to cut up the credit cards. Kind of have a plastic bonfire up here. So you should get. You need to get out of debt. First thing, you quit living on debt. Get on a budget and tithe. If you're moving in that direction, those three things, then you're going to be able to be free and money's not going to hold you bondage. And a practical way, we did a class last year, actually 2010, no, early 2011. We did a class, 2010, 2011, uh, Dave Ramsey financial class. And we're not doing one this year. I don't anticipate us doing one this year, but I looked on the internet and there are eight churches here in town in Stillwater that's running a Dave Ramsey financial peace class. I would highly recommend if you want practical insight and practical instruction on dealing with your finances, then I would, I would highly recommend you join one of these classes. Those of you who've gone through the class before you paid the membership and you've been, it's free for the rest of your life. So you can join these classes and it won't cost you anything. Those of you who haven't for a family, Package, I believe it's around $100, between $85 and $100. And you get a lot of stuff, and it's definitely well worth it. If you go to DaveRamsey.com, just Google Dave Ramsey, and go under and look up financial peace class, and it'll say locate a class or something like that, and you can type in our zip code, and it'll tell you all the classes here in town that are all the churches that are hosting classes. Many of the classes are on Sunday, some are on Tuesday, some are on Wednesday and Thursday, but there's eight churches, and they all start this month. As soon as the 8th, which is next Sunday, and some as late as February. So if, you, if you've been wanting to get on a Dave Ramsey financial class, now's a great time. Great time to do that. Okay, I'm going to do one more. Because I have four, three more, but I'm not going to do them all today. But here's the last thing I want to touch on today. Commit to growing in your family relationships. If you want to be an intentional disciple, you need to commit to growing in your family relationships. You know, Paul talked about in Romans chapter 9, I believe, talks about running the race in such a way as to win. I'm paraphrasing. They talked about preaching to others and himself being disqualified. You know what I'm talking about in that passage? He says, how should I, you know, preach to others and be disqualified? He didn't want to do that. And there are certain things that can disqualify us from the ministry. And I don't mean God disqualify us, but we disqualify ourselves. One is money. If you don't deal with your, handle your money right and you get, in, get way upside down and all this debt and all these financial problems, then if you all of a sudden have a heart to do certain things for God, your money or lack thereof may constrict you and determine what you can and cannot do for the kingdom. For example, if you want to go on a mission trip or you want to travel the world, you know, your heart is beating to go. But you got so much debt, you don't see how that's going to happen. And so these practical things dealing with our money is so that we can be more fruitful and effective for the kingdom. And the same thing way it is with our families, our relationships. If I'm learning how to be to better operate in the gifts of the spirit, but I'm neglecting my wife or my kids, then I'm a fool. With a capital F. You know, it's easier to learn how and develop in the gifts of the spirit and pray for the sick and see them healed. It's easier to do that than to love my wife or to love my kids and train up my kids. It's easier. It's easier to learn how to preach and be effective preaching. See, there are certain things that we want to do and they're easier to do. 
And God says, if you do the things I show you to do, these other things will come. They'll, they're a lot easier. In other words, if I learn how to walk in love with my family on a daily basis, then I will have effective ministry. But if I pursue effective ministry and neglect my family, then I will not have effective ministry. Am I making sense? This is one thing, and I praise God that he put this in my heart years and years and years ago. Because I knew that I had a calling to be full-time ministry. I knew that after I got saved. Early in my Christian life, I just knew. God told me, basically. And then, but one thing that I saw that I did not want to have is I didn't want to have preacher kids. PKs. I didn't want to have a wife that despised the church because her husband was so busy in the church that he had no time for her. But I saw many men doing that very thing. Neglecting their kids, neglecting their wife because they're out winning the world for Jesus. Losing their family. The world's, going, the world's getting saved and their family's going to hell. Sounds like a sad trade to me. I believe God's economy says... For the most part, I can have both. I can have my family going to heaven with me as we're taking as many people with us as we can. Now, that doesn't mean I do everything right and my kids and family is going to be perfect and they're all going to get saved. That's not what that means. So I don't want people to fall into the thing, you know, I did everything right or if I do everything right, then my kids are automatically... God's a perfect father, and yet he had two kids rebel on him in the perfect situation, perfect environment, Adam and Eve. Remember that? So that doesn't mean we do everything perfectly or right, then we're going to get the right results. But what I am saying is if we do things God's way, then we can rely on God's grace, his blessing, and his provision. If I do it my way, then I'm stuck with what I can do. And the thing on family... We need to make it our priority. My wife, brothers, your wife, if you have one, sisters, your husband, if you have one, needs to be your number one priority after Jesus Christ. And then your kids need to be the next priority after your spouse. And that's not just, well, I provide for them, I go to work, I provide for them, I have a house for them, I have, you know, what more do they need? That's not going to cut it. You know, husband, I dare you to tell your wife, well, I'm married to you. I mean, you got a roof over your head. I mean, what more do you need? You might get smacked upside the head. But what they need is what Jesus said. He says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. And again, this is the whole sermon in of itself, but I just want to touch on a couple of practical things real quick. And I want to say, brothers, if you have young men in your home, you know, boys, and they're growing up and they're approaching the teen years, they're approaching, or they're into, or someday they're going to be. Ladies, listen to me. When your young men, or when your little boys begin to be start becoming young men. You know, they turn into that preteen-ish age, 11-ish, that age. It's time, ladies, for you to release that young man and turn him over to his father. Ladies, you were able to nurture your sons to a certain point. But if you do not allow their fathers to be their number one influence in their lives, they're going to be messed up. Society, statistics, everything has proved over and over and over again the, the powerful influence of the father, not only in his family, but in society. And so, men, we have to quit neglecting our responsibility and take our responsibility to raise and train up our children. And I say particularly boys because boys will not learn how to be a man by his mom. 
I'm sorry, ladies, you can't do it. You cannot train up your son to be a man unless now if you're in a situation where you don't have a father, a a father around the house or husband or whatever, then God will step in and become the father to that little boy and he'll teach him how to be a man with your help. But if the husband and wife is in the home and you got little boys, men, it is your responsibility to train them to be men. And how do you do that? You don't sit them down and talk to them and tell them how to be men. You let them hang out with you and you show them how to be a man by playing with them. Taking them out and playing, just hanging out with them. The Lord told me at a uh, while ago when Trey and Bryant, my boys are starting to turn into that age of 10 ish, 11. And the Lord said, you need to invite them into your world, into your life, physically, practically invite them into your world. Because it's so easy, you know, I'm at the church, I got the world to save and all that kind of stuff. And then I got my boys at home and God says, it's time to invite them into my world. And at the same time, when God was dealing with me on that, Lisa, I was talking to her and she said, you know, I have an idea you might want to consider. And I appreciate my wife because God gives me ideas or God tells me something and my wife, he'll use my wife to give me practical application. She says, I think you ought to start taking the boys to work with you. I don't know if you knew that, Brian, but that idea was your mom's. And and when she said that, of course, I was like, see, I like my alone time. I like my me time. And so at first I had to get over the idea of man, if I have one of them with me, then that means the me time is going way down. And you know what I mean? I mean, being honest with you. But then I realized that that was the voice of the Lord saying this is this is how I was practically and practically going to invite my boys into my life started bringing them up to work with me and since being homeschooled made that very practical because they were able to bring their school they didn't get away from not doing school they had to bring their school with them they did their school and then so wherever i was if i had to run errands and go to walmart if i decided you know i'm going to go to walmart to look for people to pray for guess who was with me one of my boys and so i didn't have to spend a lot of time teaching them Son, here's how you go and pray for somebody. Here's how you approach them. Here's how you do that. I didn't have to do a lot of time teaching them that. They're right there with me. And I'm going to pray for this man. I said, hey, Brian, lay hands on this guy. We lay hands on this guy. Boom. See him get healed or get him ministered to or whatever. And so they just were with me. And now the, the, there's good and bad and ugly with that. They get to see the good, but then you're there. To, the more you're together, the more relationship and all that kind of stuff, the more stuff you got to deal with. So if you're having a bad attitude, if I'm having a bad attitude and I'm in a grumpy mood or whatever, I can't just escape to work and be by myself and just leave all that at home because I got one with me. So I have to deal with all that. So we learn to, we get over, we get through our mess and our junk, our relational stuff. Son, I'm sorry for yelling at you. I'm sorry for whatever, getting things right. And so as a result, over all these years, I haven't produced perfect kids by any means. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do have a great relationship with my older ones, the ones who've already left the house. And they still like being with their dad. Now, when they were in the home and then we had relational time and everything, I was the disciplinarian. I dealt with them. There were attitudes. I mean, Bryant, Trey, Joseph Grant, they'll tell you we believe in laying on of hands in other ways other than healing. And we believe in all that, you know, grounding, you know, all that, all the discipline, and everything. So we did all that because we wanted to raise up godly men and a godly young lady that's coming up too. But the thing was, is I've learned and I'm learning because I'm still still learning. When we do things God's way. God's way. And his way is very relational. Very relational. So I was able to am able to minister in the church, minister out on the streets, minister, all that kind of stuff. And then have my boys right there with me. And they don't despise ministry. They don't despise the church. Actually, 
They're about kingdom. And that's something I appreciate. You know, Trey, he's a UCO, and the thing he's really into is discipleship. Seeing people get saved and discipling them. And then Brian's all about wanting to see revival all over the world. I'm okay with that. But what it started with was dealing with and being uncomfortable, not getting my way, not being alone as much as I wanted to be, having to have this little snotty-nosed kid with me all the time. And some of you remember back in the day, if you saw me, you always saw one of my kids with me. Always saw one with me because I had so many of them and they had to take turns. But I'm glad I made that sacrifice because now I'm starting to benefit from it. And the point is, I'm not saying do what I do, but what I'm saying is do what the word says to do. And men, we have to be intentional. I hope you get sick of that word someday, but not yet. But we have to be intentional when it comes to our relationship with our kids. Intentional. Because we know that busyness of life will take us out. It'll, we'll be busy, busy, busy. We can be busy at work, and then we get busy in the, in the church stuff. And then our kids are sitting there waiting for us. Dad, can we play? Not yet, son. Not yet, son. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And then not yet is always. And in our wives, brothers, date your wives. Take them out on a date. Today, tomorrow, soon, take them out on a date. Don't say, oh, we're not date. We're married now. We don't date anymore. Shame on you. Date your spouse. Date her. Pursue her even more aggressively than you did before you were married. The benefits are a lot better. We'll stop. All right. I want to encourage you with this real quick. On that piece of paper, if you've got an orange piece of paper, I just want to invite you to do this. Write down number one, number two, number three. And then at the top of the page, put, after I deal with my big butt. After I deal with my big butt. That's what you put on the top of the page. You don't have to put two T's after that. Just one. And then number one, number two, number three, if there's anything that you feel like the Holy Spirit is, it may not even be anything that we even talked about this morning, but something that he's inviting you and encouraging you to be specific, to be intentional about. Reading his word. Maybe you're already doing that. Awesome. Spending time with him on a regular basis. Maybe you're already doing that. Great. But there may be other things that he's saying, I want to engage you and I want to encourage you to do this and I will give you the grace to do it. It may be relational. With maybe a particular child or your spouse or something in the home or something at work or whatever that you need to do to be more specific in following Jesus in this area. Maybe it is your finances. But I want to encourage you to write three. You know, it didn't have to be three. It can be up to three, maybe one, two or three. And then you're going to ask the Holy Spirit, not right now, but you're going to ask him, Lord, what do I do? What's my first step? How do I start being specific and following you in this area? Amen? Okay, let's stand together.